You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. We get into the journey of their lives, where they are today, how they have gotten there, and how they get through the day today. Because I believe that it is up to us to claim our joy, to claim our worth, to claim our value, to claim our enoughness. Every single day, sometimes every moment of the day, we can't be pinning our feelings outside of us. Once I get this job, have this book deal, have this many followers, meet the person of my dreams, then I will feel this way. If you keep putting it outside of yourself, you'll just keep chasing it. You got to claim it. On today's episode, I have the magical Catherine Budig. She's an author a teacher, a yogi. She has written two books, Aim True and The Big Book of Yoga. She's one of the amazing teachers that are featured on Glow, a super um, awesome yoga subscription online service I highly recommend. The founder of the Inky Phoenix Book Club, a capsule designer for Kira Grace, a yoga brand. I bought a pair of the slash pants and they really do make me feel like I'm pulled together and, and cool while yet still wearing leggings, whether I'm at home or out in the world. <laughs> She's also the co-host of the podcast Free Cookies with her wife, Kate Fagan. Let's get into the episode. So yeah, I like to to start a lot of times with like how I became introduced to the person and I was realizing I first got to know you because we were both writing blogs for the Daily Love, I think at the same oh, time. Oh that is right? a past life. Did you yeah. ever remember the Daily with, Love? <laughs> with Mastin Kip, yeah. yes. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that was some of the the first writing that I started doing that was often had nothing to do with yoga and was just actual heartfelt essay writing. Yeah. That I was putting in the world. Yeah. So I remember I was writing for it, you were writing for it, and I just like reached out like on Twitter, like, hi, I write for the Daily Love too. Cool. <laughs> like, so let's be friends. <laughs> and then I started, yeah, like following in. So yeah, so you at that time were very much into yoga. I mean, you're still into yoga, but that seemed like that was like Catherine Budig yoga. Yes. Am I saying, is that how you pronounce very, your name, by the way? Very close. Budig. 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 It's a long, long U and then dig. Budig. All right. So, so that's how my family pronounces it. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows what Budig really is supposed to sound like? So where did you first get into yoga? Because I make up you had to been pretty young. Yeah. Yeah, I found yoga when I was in college. I was at the University of Virginia and I was doing a ton of theater and musical theater. And one of my friends was a dancer and she, I, you know, I had done casual yoga classes before she introduced it. She took me to a proper Ashtanga studio and that's when I really fell in love with it. But prior to that, you know, this was when yoga wasn't that popular yet. But if you would read, in the magazines. I remember reading, I think Helen Hunt loved to do yoga and, you know, just celebrities would talk about how like, Oh, 
and when people would be like, how do you keep your figure? And they're like, oh, you know, I just eat whatever I want and I do yoga. And you're sitting there like, bullshit, bullshit. <laughs> and so I always kind of felt like yoga was this fluffy thing that actors said that they did to stay in shape, but I didn't believe them. And then I saw and I was like, oh my God, they do not mess around in this practice. There's so much fire. I, I, I remember the first time I was doing sun salutations and I had no idea it was called a sun salutation. I just thought of it as this repetitive movement from hell. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought of it. And I'm like, how many more times are you going to make us do this push up thing? And hilarious because now I could do sun salutations all day long and I love them. I remember the first time I saw a tricep sprout from the back of my arm. I was stretching on my bed and there was a mirror at the end and I accidentally saw a tricep pop out and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I gave birth to a tricep, you guys. <laughs> so so uh, a very weird accidental, I was so young, I didn't understand, I just knew it felt good and, and then I started going to class once a week and then twice a week. I was on a, a collegiate budget, so you know, it, going off grounds and taking a class was quite the ordeal when you're in college. Yeah. And so, and you said you were studying, were you studying musical theater or you said you're taking a lot of musical theater classes? So double major in English, English literature and drama. So when you were at that age and like, and even from younger, like were you in high school and then, okay, I'm gonna, you know, did you, was your plan to be an actress? What were you, what were you (laughs) feeling? Like was your direction in life back then? Yeah, I, from a very young age, let's see, I think my first, I got the theater bug in sixth grade when I got cast as the stepmom in Cinderella. And exactly. And I was like, oh, this is so juicy. It's so fun to play bad. (laughs) And so, you know, I never liked playing ingenue roles. I liked the character roles. You know, I played Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney Todd. And I, this is pathetic but when I got cast as Juliet in Romeo and Juliet I was so pissed because I wanted to play Mercutio (laughs) um but yeah I I was I was actually a pretty shy introverted girl growing up you know I played a lot of team sports and so I, I blossomed around my teammates but ultimately very introverted so finding theater was very good for me because it allowed me to step into personalities that I would probably never give myself permission to indulge in. And I, I was a big reader, spent a lot of time out in nature playing make-believe by myself. I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I had friends. It's not like, you know, <laughs> just out by myself. But it, um, yeah, it encouraged a massive part of my personality to take form. Did you move around a lot as a kid too, or no? I just feel like, because your, um, your dad's work seems like, is that something that he had to change teams? Or what is, well, is it? you know, we, I, I grew up in Kansas in Lawrence, Kansas, because my dad was the chancellor at KU. And then he got a job in baseball. He was, okay. became big switch. Uh, That's what I was like. I just knew something there. with baseball. Yeah. So we then moved to Princeton, New Jersey because the office was in New York city, but my mom didn't want to move us to the city. So we moved to Princeton and he took the train. And then from there, I went to school in Virginia, and then I was off on my own. And I've, I've bounced around a lot since then. Got it. Yeah, I didn't know if that, like, yeah, brought, you know, like, I didn't know how much you had moved along. I had made up, he would probably had switched teams. So yeah, if that made it more like wanting, you know, like, oh, theater was like an easier community to like drop into. 
Well, exactly. It's easy to find your people when you have a hobby like that. And it is a tightly bound, as as you would imagine, slightly dramatic group to be <laughs> part of. But they are family. They absolutely were family. And I actually, I miss that a lot. And so you went to college for musical theater. Was that, again, like you thought you'd be an actress? And how was, how did, what did your parents, were your parents like the sort of like, you definitely get a degree, you have to be this, you need a safe job? Like, no, my, my parents have always been amazing. I mean, they've wanted me to be successful. That's why I was also, I I went to school for English literature and then I was going to have a theater minor. And Mm -hmm. in my, at the end of my, I was just looking at the credits I had acquired. I was like, I should have a double major because I'll just have to hustle a little bit harder and I can have a double. So then, which is so funny because at the time, like English literature and drama, oh, you know, you're just going to reach the top of the mountain with those degrees. But it's so funny to look at my career and how those two degrees have been absolutely integral with my career and been so helpful. And, and but of course, at the time, you could never predict yeah, you didn't where I would out, be. Oh, this is exactly how my life is. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. And it followed that Definitely. exact route. <laughs> Did not follow the blue, the blueprint for success at all. Um, no, my parents were always super supportive. I think my mom lived vicariously through the theatrical part of my career because she's always she's a singer and she's always been very theatrical, but she never pursued that. And my father has always been in higher education, so going to Virginia and getting a degree in English literature, he just you know thinks. And I agree. He's like, I think English literature is a fantastic degree for anyone because think of what literature teaches us and how it encourages us to expand our minds with the simplicity of words on page. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just, and I think that the most creative ideas come from things that have nothing to do with what you're trying to create. And Mm. I don't, I don't know if everyone understands that, you know, yoga teachers think they need to be reading yoga literature. And I completely disagree. Not to say that you shouldn't be educated specifically in your craft, of course, but if you're looking for inspiration, go do something that has nothing to do with your job. And that's where you're going to find the inspiration. Right. Because we're like, that's, it's easy to make up, right. If I'm going to be the best yoga instructor, then I need to know everything there is to know about yoga and how these people did it and how these people do it. Like That's the only way to do it. And yeah, it's like really when you're actually like taking that input, but also moving, like making it more unique to you and taking like outside experiences, it can make it be that much more impactful and original. Yeah. Yes. And wait, I, I have to pause. I know the listeners can't see what you have in your hand right now, but do you have a huge crystal in your hands? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even so. know okay. you can see that. I don't know. I just have them on my desk and I end up grabbing them and sometimes I don't even realize that I... <laughs> I was, I was like, my hands around as I was intuition talking. crystal? <laughs> <laughs> love it I'm not even like that like I need my crystals or whatever but I think it's just like with anything you know I think that crystals do have powers but I also it's more, more almost even the intention like oh I'm putting something around me because I believe that right they have good energy to them like even if they don't it's just like there's something in my mind that's clicking off into like I'm intentionally showing up from like, you know, this is selenite, which is like clean and clear, maybe energy and like supposed to clear out energy. I don't, let me look up in my crystal book that Energy Muse gave me. But you know, like for me, it's almost even like, 
I hate that I do sometimes can pick up a crystal and feel the energy because I don't want to believe <laughs> things like that sometimes. But it's also like, even if I don't, even if you don't believe in stuff like that, it's like, it's again, like the intention. I'm picking this up because like, that's me. Like, I want to be right. in a clear space. <laughs> Placebo or not. I yeah. mean, I have candles that I, I have like signal candles that I light when I'm writing that's supposed to evoke. I mean, I have this shop in New Orleans, this amazing shop called the House of Hoodoo. And she makes fixed candles and I have one that is a gate opener for when I write. And you better believe that I'm like, Om Ganesha work for me when I light that candle. And I do believe in the power of the candle. And I, and for all I know, she's putting like Coca-Cola <laughs> in that and it's working. But I mean, to me, I believe in it and that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So what were we <laughs> Oh yeah. We were Sorry. talking about, yeah. <laughs> that's all good. That's like the nature of how this podcast usually goes is that I'm always like, and Pick up the back focus, to. Crystal. <laughs> focus crystal. Um, okay. No. Um, no, we were talking about, yeah. Like, yeah, you're talking about the English literature and people like not, yoga teachers, like not needing to study all the English. I was saying like, yeah, taking more things from your, which I feel like the most impactful yoga teachers or teachers of any type in my life are, be, are it's because they're making it sort of their own, even if it is a very like, this is a class, this style or that. But yeah, like, you know, when it's, you can tell that it's the teacher being like authentically and sharing it through them and not like the rule books of how yoga should be taught. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It did. It can become quite clinical and obviously there's a teacher for every person. That's the beauty of any form of craft, right? I mean, we need different styles to attract different personality types, but I, I love information, but I love for it to be delivered like a storyteller. Yeah. And that's, that's my personality and that's how I like to teach. Um, and I know teachers who are quite clinical with the way they teach. And then there's obviously a ton of people who love that and they want to yeah. dork out and they want the details. So teach their own. Totally. Even like uh, there's people, my, some of my friends that like loved the methods where like every single class is exactly the same, whether it was that one certain yes. hot type yoga or whatever. And like they thrived in that environment that they knew it was going to come next. Or And I hate that. <laughs> That, but that's my personality. But they're the opposite. Like, I love that I'm doing these same poses every time and I can, like, feel my, you know, like, whatever. I'm the opposite. Okay, enough about that. Now back to so. <laughs> Okay, so you are then in college, musical theater and that. What, like, so what did you, um, what happened once you graduate college? Or you keep showing up to yoga classes. Do you need? Yeah, I, I um, so I, I became very dedicated. There was this amazing teacher in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, Jennifer Elliott. She's a, a senior Ashtanga teacher. And I, I told her that, you know, I wanted to move to Los Angeles because I thought I was going to pursue an acting career. And did she have a place that she recommended for me to go do a teacher training? And she said, absolutely. You have to go to Yoga Works. You have to train with Monty Azrati, which meant nothing to me at all. But she pointed me in, in that direction. And it just so happened that like a couple days after I was supposed to land in Los Angeles, Chuck Miller, who uh, was Mati's partner and the co-founders of YogaWorks were going to co-lead a teacher training in Santa Monica. So I applied for it. I got into it, drove cross country once I graduated from Virginia and just bam, went into it. And when you were saying you wanted to do a yoga teacher training, was that because you felt you wanted to be a teacher or just like you were very like becoming, okay, I'm loving this thing. I love what it's doing in my body. I want to know more about it. Or were you just like, yeah, I'm going to try to be an actor and be a yoga teacher. 
Yeah, I would love to say that I, you know, was all spiritual and knew that this was going to be something important. But no, I wanted to get paid, you know, while I was auditioning. So it was like, this makes a good side hustle. I'm not going to be a waitress. I'll be a yoga teacher. I was like, I I love this. I and I've always pursued things that I love. Like I've never tried to go after something to just pay bills. I always wanted to have something to do. I've been fortunate enough to always have that. Um, And I was like, I love this. And and I had no idea that it was going to turn into a full-blown career. I just thought it was kind of a stepping stone towards my big passion, which at the time was acting. So very surprising. And I didn't, little did I know I was going to, you know, the best studio in America with two of the finest teachers in the world. No idea. <laughs> no idea. You know, it's like I got into Juilliard and didn't know. It was just crazy. And I'm so grateful to be raised under that kind of tutelage. It was truly something special in a moment in time. Everyone from that training knows how special that training was. It was epic. And I'm, so I'm guessing too, you signing up as like, great, I'll do yoga teacher training. This will be a way to make money while it's coming in. Then like, then you actually in the training, I'm guessing is like probably stretching you making like life change. You're like, you know, you're just like, I'm going to do this thing because I like it. And maybe I can make some money. And then you go into your teacher training with these two amazing leaders. Like, yeah, what was that experience like? That's like you casually play a pickup game down the block and then you get into a training with LeBron and you're like, what the fuck? I mean, it was the first weekend was so intimidating. I, I, I almost wanted to quit, honestly because I'd never spoken a single word of Sanskrit in my entire life. I didn't know anything about the lineage or the heritage. And the first night was theory and it was with Chuck and everything went over my head. And I was like, oh my God, I don't deserve to be in here. I don't understand this world. I haven't studied this. And everyone else just seemed to be like, oh, sure. And and then the next day was Mati and it was Asana, the physical practice. And she just kicked my butt. I mean, it was so hard and she had a ton of assistance and, you know, they were just on me like white on rice, like adjusting this and that and this and that and everything. And of course I translated it to, I'm doing everything wrong. I'm doing everything yeah. wrong. I can't do anything right. Um, so it was just so overwhelming. But then I had this wave, you know, the euphoria that you get at the end of the practice, regardless of the kind of internal monologue that you can have during the practice. It just afterwards, it's, it's that high. And, and then I was hooked. And I just upped my game and became a student again and, and, and tried to keep up. <laughs> just tried to keep up. <laughs> Which I think a lot of people doing teacher training can relate to that feeling. And so when you finish your training, then, and do you start to also like, are you then trying to audition for things and roles in LA or like you have to get, I'm guessing, yeah, breaking into like acting in LA is like, oh, that's easy. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> it's you like, know, that did not last long because I, I had someone hook me up with a talent manager for a meeting and I went to sit with her and I was 21, 22. I was a size two, maybe between a size zero and a two. And she sat me down and was like, well, you know, I hate to say this. I I just, it sounds so scripted, but you know, at the weight that you're at right now, you could probably be the funny best friend. I know it's horrible, but you could probably be the funny best friend. And I was just like, uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> um, and that obviously, as you can imagine, really stuck with me because then I left thinking like, what am I fat? Like what's wrong with me? And I was like fresh out of college. I was young, squeaky clean. Like I was so beautiful. And it was just, I can't believe someone had the nerve to, to a young kid like that to tell them that. And, and probably without went, even actually seeing you act, right? It's like, no, they, probably, oh, no, no. they hadn't actually tried to see, let me see if you have any talent. <laughs> By the looks no. of you, you can't possibly <laughs> be working. Right. You're not what I want to look at on screen, uh. okay, honey? I mean, that's what it felt like. And so that wasn't great. Um, that didn't inspire me. But um, I did. I got my SAG card. I was uh, an extra on Mission Impossible 3. <laughs> so that's how I got my SAG card. And then I did some stunt work, which involved uh, helping to carry Charlie Sheen. Um, I didn't end up doing a ton. I, I had a, like a little cameo on an ABC show. And I just, I mean, I will always love the craft. I, I think I probably like theater a lot more than I like film because of just the scrutiny that comes along with film. And that level of scrutiny doesn't exist in theater. I feel like the, in theater, the scrutiny is how talented are you? How good are you? I mean, it, it's about like what kind of chops you have. And that obviously is very intimidating as well. But to have someone just analyze your body fat and what you look like and how straight or crooked your teeth are. And, and it's just, God, I mean, anyone who's in Hollywood, I'm, I'm so grateful they exist because I love to consume television and movies, but that is a brutal job. Brutal. I can't even imagine the neuroses and the stories that those people tell themselves on a daily basis to survive. No, but totally. I mean, and that's what it's always like, you know, it's easy for people outside general public looking in like they have everything and they just act for a living. They get to do this. And I'm like, you know, not, I haven't worked with many actors, but from working in the music industry where it's different and your looks don't affect it as much. And just whatever, like that, seeing that too. And it's like, oh, no, no, these people are humans with all the issues that yes. all of us humans have. The doubt, the self, yeah. you know, like, you know, self-judgment, the fear, the what are going to people think of me? Plus amplified. There's all these other people weighing in, managers, artists, this, casting agents, everybody, marketing, label, like whatever. And then, you know, like, yeah. And then the people just making up these assumptions about them and throwing it up but also um acting is hard work besides the fact that it's like they just act you know so it is like I get it you think they have millions of billions of dollars and they can buy this so how dare they you know struggle or have Absolutely. a hard time There's... how dare they how dare they feel sad which <laughs> which is why I first went to work for like oh hey nice armpit sweat um <laughs> But yeah, like when I realized like, oh, I, you know, need to be doing more with my life and serving people and making them up to like, this is your life that I went straight to the same artist that I had been working with as a sound engineer. Cause I was like, wait a minute, these people that we think have it all, if they're still fucked up and feeling like they're not successful and fulfilled and I see them upset every single day. And most of the time people just let them live in a bubble of like upset because they're afraid to like tell them their opinions or call them out on their shit. Like, I'm going to start with those totally. people. <laughs> but a lot of people don't yeah. think that it's easy to think that these people that have it all or that have a ton of followers that wrote a book that whatever that get, you know, I'm sure even with you, people can make up because you're such an amazing yoga teacher in this. How dare you have struggles? <laughs> of course. Right. And they, they only get to see the shiny exterior. I, I love the artist Halsey and she mm -hmm. has a great lyric. She's so transparent about her mental health and her struggles. And she has this amazing lyric about 
you know, um, people think I'm living the dream, but I go home and I have no self-esteem. And, yeah. you know, I, I do think the, the bigger you get, the more eyeballs you get on you. I don't think humans are meant to be seen in this light or to have that level of exposure. I don't think we're hardwired to um, deal with it. So I think with any of that kind of level, you get the highest of the highs and the lowest of lows. Because when people love you, it's like, oh my God, I'm on top of the world. But the, the second you, that spotlight is so bright and blinding that your eyes can't adjust to normal life afterwards. And so it's, you know, you become a junkies searching for that next hit for the next high. And it's, I don't envy that at all. And I've tried very hard, even within my little bubble of limelight to be very careful about how I view it, what it does to me, what it means about who I am as a person and how, you know, people's opinions of me and accolades have nothing to do with who I am. And yeah. that's, that's work. That's work. It's so much work that, and it's, yeah, it's amplified. Um, anytime there's like more attention, it's just like, you can believe in yourself believe in all the possibilities in the world. And then it seems like extra hard work to be putting that out into the world or for people to then see that you believe that about yourself. And like, you know, it's just like piles on top of each other. And speaking of Halsey, I believe it was a Grammy Award speech. Recently, there was, uh, I yeah, she won an award for something. And in her acceptance speech, she said like, you know, like, thank you for this award, but I can now see that this thing that I always wanted doesn't validate me. Like, you know, like I go home, you know, and I was like, yes, like it was like my message that I've been trying to share with people. And that's the point of like the claim it podcast is like she was saying, like, I've been working so hard to get somewhere to get these things right to get this award. And it's not going to make a difference. But like, thank you. But also, like, I have to yeah. see that it's only me that can make me feel like I am validated. This award actually like didn't, you know, validate me like based on the like, previous, I think, award she because it wasn't like it was like, you know, yeah. the next round, like it wasn't her first round of winning awards, but like seeing like, oh, I won an award before. And I thought, this is what I always wanted. I got it. I got the thing I always wanted. <laughs> and I still, I know. Feel, it, all it these, like I still those... feel all of these ways. I still feel like I'm not enough. I still feel like I'm not yeah. It seems like a silly platitude that you need to find your own happiness, but it is the absolute truth because this we're just a society of of moving goalposts. And I mean, I, I witnessed it when uh, my, my wife is a journalist and a writer. And when her book, What Made Maddie Run, made the New York Times bestseller list almost immediately, like right, and that's every writer's dream to make the list, to say you're a New York Times bestselling author. And she made the list and almost immediately, you know, her people wrote to her about like, okay, like this is how we're gonna stay on the list now. And it's like, fuck, man, like, can you have two seconds to celebrate this, like, pinnacle moment in someone's life? And, and, and it's just immediately, okay, like, all right, I got here. How do I get two awards? How do I get three awards? How do I get, you know, that award that nobody else gets? Like, it, it's just, so I do think it's a good reminder, even if you're not Halsey or, like, striving to be on the New York Times bestseller list, to just embrace the wins when they arrive and to fully step in to that moment that has been so important to me in my life that whenever I have something that makes me feel good, I just fully allow myself to bathe in it because sometimes they're few and far between. And I, I don't want to be that person who's constantly hungry instead of enjoying the food that's on their plate. 
Yeah. And it's a balance because as humans, we are like striving for more. And especially if you feel like, you know, like have creative or a purpose, like I want to, oh, you want to write the next book. You want to do this. You want to like reach more people with your message, whatever it is. And that's not wrong, but still like, I think paying attention to like why you're doing it and like being able to enjoy the now and claim your worth and claim that I'm successful, like claim it for yourself because again, it's not going to be out there somewhere. Once I get this, once I'm on the New York Times bestseller list, then I'll feel this way. It's like, nope, then you'll be chasing the next thing. It just naturally Mm -hmm. happens like that. It's just, we're set up to be, once I get this, do this, be this, then I'll feel this way. And you might exactly. for like a glimmer of a second and then you're on to the next. <laughs> and so it's like, that's yep. the point. It's like, you have to claim your joy, your worth, your value every day for yourself. And it's fucking hard work. <laughs> I know. Being human, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get back to your story. So, okay, you do, do do some things in the entertainment industry and acting. And then I'm like, does yoga then just become more and more like, feel like this is your thing and passionate are you teaching and starting to teach more and more classes like I still teach regularly on no the I'm going back to LA oh I'm okay. jumping so, yeah, I ju- the question just because you were yeah. in out and going back to being in LA you do the teacher training you said you did get into some you know shows and this and that so making that and then what made you sort of stop that dream was it because you're getting more passionate about what you're doing through yoga and like does your yoga teaching schedule start to expand and stuff and what was that journey for you too because I also make up how fucking scary to stand in front of a room of people and now be leading them like did was that also or did you feel like a natural teacher in that or did when it you game came to I, now I teach classes like did that was that like an internal yeah. Doubt. No, I, I think the standing in front of people and teaching came naturally to me because I was an actress. So that's right. where my training oh, okay. came in and was beautiful because did it make me nervous? Yes. Was I nervous every time the curtain lifted and I had to like take that breath before I stepped onto the stage? Yes. But in the same way that when you're in theater, like, you know, you're like pounding Pepto-Bismol before the curtain goes up. But like once you're on stage, bam, it's all gone and you're in the moment. And that's very much what teaching is like for me. And Still, I mean, I obviously don't get as nervous as I used to. It depends on the environment. But, you know, once I get going, it's just I'm transported. And I'm, my, my switch has been turned on and I'm in teaching mode. And the, the, I didn't expect for the, the, my yoga to turn into such a large career. And I'd like to believe that ultimately – the juxtaposition between what people in Hollywood were telling me about myself versus what my yoga teachers were telling me also drew me deeper into yoga because obviously yoga is this world where you're taught to love yourself as you are and that you are whole and it's, they encourage you to meditate and it's about self-observation and improving yourself as an individual, not changing yourself for society like Hollywood wants you to do. So that I, I do believe drew me further into yoga, but I would be lying if I didn't say um, beyond the like just being consumed. You know, I was practicing every single day. I loved it. it. It was a total addiction. And I was in Santa Monica, you know, when yoga was just starting to hit hard. And it was this amazing community. It was an amazing and horrible community, honestly, but um, a lot of cattiness and competitiveness. But the people who were great were unbelievable. And it was family. And just a big, big dysfunctional family that all slept with each other. <laughs> and, um, so <laughs> in many ways, it was, you know, I, I was looking for that feeling of family again to be home because I was far from my family and I was in Los Angeles and 
and that pulled me in. But then, you know, I, I did my classes started to get bigger and I got better time slots. And then I started teaching workshops and they were full. And then I started traveling and they were full. And then the yoga journal started featuring me. And, and then I, you know, got back into what we were talking about earlier of that, like I was getting the hit and I wanted another one and I wanted another one. And, and I also, you know, was, I'm the daughter of a very successful father who, whether or not he meant to instill in me, like success means happiness. And that, if you are successful, you will find everything that you want in life. And I mean, to this day, like I like less than a year ago, I was talking about wanting to try to have a baby. And, and he's like, you're not ready yet. You know, you haven't, he's like, I think you're close, but like you still have more things to do in your career before you can have a baby. And by the way, I'm going to be 38 in a month. And I was just like, okay, I and love you. Done a lot. Fuck you. Yeah. I mean, it was just, I'm like, I'm sorry. Am I really not successful enough for you, dad? And I don't, my dad doesn't listen to podcasts. I don't need to worry about this, but yeah, you know, and so in that with a lot of therapy, you know, I, I grew up thinking my parents will love me no matter what. And they just want me, you know, to find what makes me happy. And then finally I was like, Oh, my dad wants me to be successful. And it's all happened that I've picked careers that I love that I've become successful at. So I've, I, it was harder for me to see that. So I, I think a big drive for why I was so successful in my yoga career was I had that drive from my father and I was not, I was not conscious that that was such a driving force because I always thought what a blessing to have such a successful dad. And it wasn't until, you know, the last couple of years where I was like, wait a second, my happiness doesn't come from success. My success comes from my happiness. And it took me a long time to figure out that lesson, a long, long time. So yes, I, I still, I believe in yoga. I still will always believe in yoga, but it was a combination of, I found family. I found a place that I belonged, but I also got the success itch that got bitten by that bug. And I just wanted more and more and more. Me, Trisha, popping in. How you doing? How you feeling? What a year, right? I mean, we're halfway through 2020. Don't think this is the year anybody would have expected or created for themselves, but I think it's a whole lot of growth and learning and unlearning. So I wanted to offer you a couple things that are super affordable for you to do to support yourself, to dig deeper, to question yourself, to own yourself. One is my daily inspiration app that's available in the Google Play and Apple App Store. It's called Own Your Awesome, and it's hundreds of affirmations and thoughts. You can set a daily reminder to come and pick a card at any time because we forget. We forget. We forget to take care of ourselves. We forget to do the things that bring us joy, that remind us how awesome we are. So you'll get a reminder if you set one to go pick a card daily. So that's only $3.99, and it's hundreds of powerful thoughts and affirmations. Another thing, I have a 31-day email program. You can sign up at any time, and it will start the same day or the next day, depending on when you sign up. It's called I Am Connected to Me, and each day you get an email to your inbox that has you explore a part of yourself, a part of your life. It could be cleaning out, uh, you know, your closet one day. It could be one day 
reminding yourself what songs you love that boost your joy. It's all over the place. 31 days to really get you exploring where are you at in life? What do you like right now? What are you ready to say no to? What are you ready to let go of? What is serving you? What's not? What has just been programmed into you and you're ready to be done with? So go to yourdualogist.com slash connected. Sign up and that's only $33. So it's two things you can get right now that are both very affordable and that will support you to claim your joy, your worth, your value every single day. And then what was the struggle like too? Because as you're getting more and more success, that means more and more attention, which then can often, as we sort of already mentioned, can bring more scrutiny, whether it's the size of your body or, oh, she's not that great. Like, did you start to get like criticism from people as you were like, you know, especially even I'm sure LA LA yoga teacher, how is she getting that? I'm obviously a better teacher, like stuff like that. Did you start to have like that stuff coming up at you? Yeah, I lot of, I don't want to call it critique as much as conversation around my body. Um, you know, I was very strong. I was very strong at arm balances. I was very strong at, at inversions. And, you know, I'm five foot two. I'm a size four right now. At the time, I was probably a size zero or two. And the commentary in my body was always like, wow, it's just so refreshing to see someone with like a soft body who can do such hard things. And that, that was like, that was a jagged little pill to swallow because a massive goal for me is to make yoga more accessible and make people feel comfortable in their skin. And if my body doesn't line up with what people think of when they think of yoga teachers, which is often like long and sinewy and completely free of fat, like I, I'm happy to be a part of, you know, the aesthetic that makes people feel more comfortable in their skin. But when I look back at it, I'm just like, Oh my God, I was like a size two. And people were saying that I didn't look like a body type. I'm like, how fucked up are we? Totally. Is that is what people think, you know, I'm like, I mean, I don't, what's the average size in America, a 12 or a 14. I'm like, this is some serious bullshit. If people think that like, I'm the one who's making people feel better. So it was, like th- there was a societal aspect of it where I'm like, oh my God, what does this mean? And then, you know, for some people, I made them feel better. For people who are bigger than me, they're like, whoa, fuck you. Like, do you think you should be the voice of body empowerment? I mean, look at you, you're, you're tiny. Like you shouldn't be talking about this, which I totally understand. But at the same time, I'm like, well, it turns out we all have a body and they all look different. And we all have feelings about body empowerment. So yeah, we are all entitled to share something if we think it's going to help people. But I mean yeah, it's, it messed with my head. And I'm not even in that scene as regularly as I used to be. I mean, I still film for Yoga Glow on a regular basis, which let me tell you, being in front of a camera and stretchy pants doing yoga is not fun. And I, I still have it in my head that like, as I get older and my body changes and like, I'm getting cellulite and fat and parts of my body that I seem like I cannot control it. <laughs> it's just happening. And, um, and I still have it in my head, like, this isn't what people want to see, you know, people want to see that fit yoga body. And, and I, I know I'm fit. I sweat every day. I move my body every day. I'm a very balanced person. 
and I'm in shape, but my body, it's, it's changing. I'm getting older. It's just doing what it's got to do. And I've never been someone who's wanted to go to extreme measures to look a certain way because I enjoy food. I enjoy my drinks. I enjoy the balance of life too much to do that. But then when I'm in front of that camera and my stretchy pants and I can see it, I've got a little lower belly pooch. I'm like, motherfucker, you know, it's just, and, and I do think that's because of how I was raised and, and the, even though yoga was kinder than Hollywood, it's, it's still the fitness world. And there's still these ungodly expectations put on the teachers within these different, you know, genres of what they should look like. And that will probably always be a little voice in my head that I will daily have to fight against. It's, it's, and I know even for people who've never been photographed for media before, they struggle with that. We all struggle. Yeah. Some more than others. I noticed uh, last year, I haven't really had much struggles with my body image. I've always been somebody that's like, I'm not big, but I've always never been like super thin. Like I was always like yeah. the bigger person of my friends or whatever. You know, like I have a bigger body type. So of course, I've always had body image issues and my mom always dieted and this and she still says she's going on her diet and off her diet. <laughs> like, you know, like so it's programmed into us from so many different ways. But I felt I didn't really have body image issues anymore. And then last year when I was getting ready to do a speaking gig in person, which I hadn't done in a long time, then I immediately started to fight with this like, you're not thin enough. Like, oh my gosh, you really like need to like, I had always in the last couple of years, like, yeah, I exercise because it makes me feel good, not because like how it's going to make me look right. And that week or two be preparing for that talk, all of a sudden it started. Just, I had to struggle with that. Like, I need to work out because I need to look. Oh, my gosh, I need to look like I need to be fitter to stand in front of people. And I had to, like, keep myself in check every time I come up and I'd be like what am I telling myself right now? Like, I'm basically saying I'm not enough. I'm not worthy of being seen. I'm not worthy of being heard. My messages have no point unless I'm a smaller version of myself. Like, it was like this crazy, you know, like I had to keep like, and then I was like, okay, uh, so this is me believing I'm not enough unless I look a certain way. And then that's like became my formula of like, which is funny because my talk was about like, what do you believe to be true about yourself and how like we're on, always judging ourselves and projecting it out into this is what the world is going to think of us. So that week leading up to doing the talk, I had to constantly be like, what am I telling myself? I'm telling myself I'm not enough. I'm not worthy of, you know, talking in front of people unless I look this way. Do I believe that? A, a little bit of me is saying like, yes, but also like, no, like that's ridiculous. I was like, I need to go get a gel manicure. I need my car washed. I needed to get my car washed that nobody would see because that would make me feel <laughs> like I was going to be a more like, you know, like together speaker that was worthy of speaking in front of people. Like, because obviously you can't be worthy of speaking in front of people if you have a messy car. <laughs> like that's, you know, like these things that were happening in my brain. And I had to keep being like, Trisha, is this what you believe to be true? Is that what yeah. you want to believe? No. What do you want to believe? I'm enough no matter what I wear. I'm enough no matter what size my body is. I'm enough like <laughs> my cards so, are like constantly reassessing like these are my own judgments right now. I haven't I haven't stepped out of my house. So like constantly asking myself, what are you saying to yourself? And do you really want to believe that? <laughs> well, that's what's so crazy is those judgments often don't come from other people. They just come from within your own head. And 
and your expectation of what you think other people are thinking about you, where it's like, oh man, we are so far gone when you think someone who's never said anything is thinking this about you. And then you, it's just, you know, then you have to go back to the four agreements and like get your head on straight. And, (laughs) (laughs) but it is, I mean, I do think it's some days are better than others. Some months are better than others, but yeah, it's just like, this is, it's our meat suit, man. It's like, it's going to change all the time. And, and every meat suit is different and responds differently. And, you know, I'm, my wife is five foot nine and long skinny legs. You know, she's got this long, beautiful body. We could, our bodies could not be more different. And sometimes I look at her and I'm just like, gosh, you bitch. Like, <laughs> I you're so lucky. But I mean, she's, probably has worse body image issues than I do. So it's like, you know, you just don't know what's going on inside of someone's head and the, the struggles that you, you wouldn't think someone's struggling and yet they're just constantly tackling it. Speaking of your wife and struggles, <laughs> can we talk about, well, yeah. So the f- last, first time I met you in person, I did come to a yoga class in Santa Monica when you were still teaching Santa Monica and you're getting ready to move though to, I believe, Florida. Mm-hmm. at the time <laughs> to uh yeah because you had been in a relationship with someone that you were yeah gonna give it a try are you open to talking about that no yeah I mean <laughs> well, just cause, yeah so you moved fell in love with a man I assume you fell in love with him or was that yeah no I totally I did fall in love with him. I, I was about to say I thought I fell in love with him, but I, I did fall in love with him. And, you know, I will always be grateful to him because he was the catalyst to get me out of Los Angeles. And I, it was not a healthy environment. I, I'm, I, I had, it had run its course. And perhaps if I had never met him, I don't, I don't know. I could still be stuck there. And I think I would be living a very different life and be a very different person. So. I am so grateful for him that he inspired me to get the hell out and, and to move. And, and we lived in Florida for a year and a half. And then we moved up to Charleston, South Carolina, because I didn't want to live in Florida. And uh, my parents were in Charleston and I love Charleston and I don't believe in moving backwards. So I didn't want to go back to California and we got married in Charleston and uh, separated a year after we got married. And uh, I met my now wife and she just completely opened my eyes to what I wanted my life to look like, what actually loving someone and having a partner was like a true partner in life. And, um, you know, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty, And when I look back, no, I shouldn't have married him. You know, I knew, I knew long before we got married that I didn't want to marry him, but I just told myself like, Hey, this is, this is called adulting. You know, this is marriage isn't a fairy tale. Marriage is stability. And he felt very stable to me. And, um, I just overlooked how many things we didn't have in common and our ambitions were totally different. And, and I, I settled and in a nutshell, but at the time, but at the time, you probably you had no idea. You weren't like, "Oh man, this is good enough. I'm settling." Subconsciously, I totally knew what was up. My friends knew. 
I, I mean, when I told all my friends and family that we were separating, not a single person fought me. They were like, oh, <laughs> great. <laughs> you know? To which, of course, I'm like, why didn't anyone say something to me before all this happened? But you can't. Like, it, it's up to no. the individual to live you their life, make their mistakes. You, you just, you can't, you cannot get in the way of someone, especially when it comes to love and relationships. You just have to let people do what they need to do. And I had to. I had to, you know, I, I don't know if I would have seen Kate, my wife, in the way that I saw her had I not had that experience with my ex-husband, you know, um, I was, I mean, this might sound cool, but I was open to seeing love because I was so starved of it time, you know, and it, I could truly see what love looked like after that experience because of the, uh, the, the vast difference in experiences between the two. Do you think, did age play at all into the like feeling like you were settling? Cause I think, you know, it seems like something that like, Oh, whatever. But I think that it's actually a real thing that it's like, can be like once you're in your thirties or how old were you when you got married? I was 32. Oh, I think you were younger 30, than I thought. Earlier thirties. When, it, but I feel I, like, yeah, I, I, I <laughs> I mean, ugh, maybe, I mean, I, I think it was also, I had had so many horrible relationships in Los Angeles that I was like, oh my God, just give me a normal person, please. And he was, he was just like kind of this normal guy who did the same thing all the time. And, and I was like, oh, stability, you know, I, and I just really jumped on that. Um, so I do think all of my past relationships influenced why I chose him. Uh, and it's one of those things where I'd like to say like, oh, you know, I'm about to turn 38. I'm so much wiser now. But I'm sure when I'm about to turn yeah. 45, I'll look at myself at 38 and be like, I didn't know anything then. You know, I think it's always easy to look back at your past self and be like, I don't know what I was doing. So right. the moral of the story, friends, is we never know what we're doing. <laughs> and we're just doing the best we can. Yeah. given the amount of experience that we've worked with, because that's all you got. That's all right. you got. And that's true. And it might not necessarily be age that I was even talking about. But yeah, like experience, because like, okay, you've had so many or different interactions or relationships, maybe even in younger years. And so then, yeah, you find this person and have this and this. So then it feels like this is it. This is love because of what you had experienced before. We're like, no, but then you're in that and you're like, Oh, maybe <laughs> not. It was just a way better version of all of these like experiences. <laughs> Right. But yeah, you never know. And that too, like, I think, yeah, like if people had told you like, for sure, it's like, I've had friends and like, whatever, it's like, you wouldn't have probably been open to hearing that, you know, it's like, (laughs) cause I've even thought that like, why didn't I tell my friend that I had that feeling about that person as soon as I met them? And then, you know, like whatever. And they're like, why didn't you tell me? And I'm like, I really don't think that you would have been like, oh, Trisha says she has a funny feeling about you. I can't right. get you anymore. Like it probably Because that's how friendships end, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, I think you can be there for people and listen to them, even though you might not agree with the person that they're with. And I think you can plant subtle seeds that maybe they could do better. But I think going flat out and saying like, I don't like your wife. I don't like your husband. I don't like your fiance. That that's um, of course you're going to come up against some resistance. Yeah, if obviously if a friend comes up to me and was like, I feel this way or whatever, then I would give my like honest or like, oh well, this. But yeah, it's like you can't just like 
you, you can't you can't Flat run somebody else's yourself. life and like <laughs> no yes and they even won't though you might anything. know best yeah right <laughs> always i think we always all think know we know best <laughs> um yeah so now um yeah living in charleston and you are working on a novel or you wrote a novel right yes and it's being shopped I around wrote a novel and it is out on submission with editors right now and I am in my own personal hell because I'm in quarantine and my novel is on submission. So it's just like purgatory on purgatory. <laughs> you can't escape yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm like, ah! Um, it's really rough. It's really, and it, fiction, uh, there's way more rejection in fiction and everything takes longer because, you know, when you, I've written two books, but they're both nonfiction and you submit, you, you have your proposal and so you get a response right away because it's just a proposal. And then, I mean, God, my, the first book was, I was just asked to write it. So it was no problem. The second book, I don't know, maybe it would seem longer than it does in my memory, but it, it felt like it just moved. You know, we had our, our little bidding war and bam, I had a, I had a publisher. And now, you know, I finally have written a book that 100% has come from my heart. That is like what I've always wanted to do. And it's, it's just like someone has taken my heart out of my body and thrown it into the ether. And I'm just waiting for someone to FedEx it home to me. <laughs> um, it's intense. It's so intense. So I've been distracting myself uh, with the, 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 I started an online book club. It's called the Inky Phoenix and it's on Instagram and it's, it's made me feel like my heart is back in my body again and just been such a joy it really makes my heart swell when i see people talking about these books and joining together as a community so that that's been a savior to me and our podcast my wife and i co-host a podcast called free cookies and we have been theming it around authors this season which has also just been unbelievable to talk to some of my heroes and uh we're finally back to releasing weekly which was very difficult for us to do for a while because kate's father um was dying of ALS and that was a couple really hard years for us and we were all over the place so yeah books are saving me right now even though my my personal book is bringing me so much stress <laughs> but books in general are bringing me I can't me imagine writing a fiction book was that something that you felt like you always wanted to do for years like and where did that voice come from like was that something that yeah like you'd been hearing for a while and like to, to like to hear a voice telling you to do that and then to try to do it and then to put it out there as hello world I've written a fiction book you want to oh buy God. it <laughs> that's the thicken balls and <laughs> or uh, ovaries or <laughs> I I mean I've loved fiction since I was a little girl it's been one of my favorite I'm always the happiest when I'm deep in a story and I always would read story and think wow I wish I could be the person who could write a story like this like how amazing to have that talent to be able to transport people to a world that they don't want to leave. That's always what I thought reading books. And I thought, God, just to be able to do that, I could never do that. I could never do that. And um, I would say for at least the past 10 years, I've had ideas floating around my head for what, if I were to write a, a novel, what it would be about. But always thinking, I don't know, thinking I would do it in my 50s or something, you know, like just... And, and also, that sounds, no, that sounds more reasonable. Yeah. No, I'm just right. You know, like kick, kick that can down the road, keep kicking it, keep kicking it. And, and just also thinking like, I don't, 
I don't have the talent, you know, I, I need to garner that. Oh, it's not. And then also like yoga teacher writes fiction book. Like it's not exactly the I next can't do that. Step, right. You know, and even my literary agent at the time was kind of like, okay, maybe you should stick with yoga. Um, and um, I, I, uh, I watched Kate write a novel um, during everything that's going on with her dad. And she just sat down every day and she'd write 5,000 to, or excuse me, 500 to a thousand words a day. And she just did it. And she just freaking wrote a novel, um, which she ended up shelving it, but still she wrote a whole novel. And I was just like, uh, holy crap. Is that how you do it? And even, uh, my, my wife is a phenomenal writer. So it's, wait, it's you just sit down and write. That's how you do it. And I'm just kidding. <laughs> Right. And, but I mean, that may not work for everybody, but still, so just watching her do that. And I was thinking more and more about ideas and characters. And then the, 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 the ideas just started coming to me more frequently. And then I started to develop a concept and a, a name for my character and her world. And finally, Kate was out of town. And I, I don't know what possessed me, but I just opened my computer and I wrote 500 words. And I emailed them to her. And I was like, will you read these? And she read them and she's like, this is great. Tell me more. I want to know more. And so I wrote another 500 words. And then next thing you know, I had written a chapter and, and then I got whiteboards and I started mapping out my characters and researching and creating my worlds. And, and then by, this was last July and by Christmas I had written, you know, a hundred thousand word novel. And I found a new literary agent who focused on fiction and, and here we are, she's out in the world. And so it's just, I think Neil Gaiman put it really well when you, he said that writing a novel is kind of like driving through the mist with one headlight where you're driving slowly and you're trying to see what's in front of you and you're trying to see what's in front of you. And then every now and then the mist just parts mm. and you can see clearly, but you know, it, it is that, I, I always think, oh, I always thought that writers just knew, you know, they just had it all mapped out and then they would just write the world. And obviously every writer is very different. And I've learned that too, because how I write is completely different from how Kate writes when it comes to fiction and how we view our characters and our worlds and our inspiration. Um, but it's, it's certainly one of those things where I think everyone has a novel inside of them maybe not a great novel, but I think everyone has a novel inside of them, but not many people have the discipline to write it. And I think Sue Monk Kid has something in her house where it says, um, writing is an act of bravery. And I truly, I believe that to be true so deeply because it, it, it's like the most magical experience and yet just severe punishment, kind of like meditation. You know, meditation is so rewarding. And yet sometimes it's just like someone smacking you over and over and over again. And it's the same thing. It's very difficult to sit down and meditate. But every time you're like, oh, God, like I'm a better person. I can see clearly. I understand the world better. And it's the same thing with writing a book. It's just the joy gap is massive between where you are right now and putting words on to the page. But man, once those words start flowing, it's, it's, it's everything. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm in like re-editing my book proposal and the writing the book and it's like mine's nonfiction and it's about something I'm so passionate about, like how eliminating yeah. shoulds from your life, 
can change your life in so many ways. And it's this thing I've been living. So I'm so passionate about it. I so want this out in the world. This is, you know, and it's, I got the literary agent. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah. And it's like, I so want it, but yeah, every day I'm like, okay, it's my time to write. It's my time to re-edit. And then like getting in there and then even just like 20 minutes of doing it, I feel like I'm flying high. I did it. I did this thing. But it's so like I face so much resistance every, <laughs> every day. So much resistance. Yeah. And that's what I mean by discipline. It's not like. And bravery. I mean, yeah. Discipline yeah. and bravery. Yeah. You know, I can't speak for every writer, but I would imagine that how you feel, how I feel is very normal. Like you will have days where it just bleeds out of you and days where you're like, what the fuck am I doing? I am a joke. Like I'm horrible at this. The world doesn't need this. And then you just keep going and it's called editing. That's another thing. I, I just assume that, you know, that Stephen King or Neil Gaiman or Dan Brown or Ann Patchett just write perfectly. You know, they just like put it down on paper. But you have to remember that the final product that you're holding in your hand like, I mean, God, in Patch's most recent book, I think she said after she finished the entire first draft that she realized she had gone wrong on page 16 and she scrapped <laughs> everything after page 16 and rewrote the book. Ah! I mean, you know, so it's, you have to be willing to just get out of your own way, get out of your ego's way and really listen to what needs to happen, even if it means totally burning it down. We just talked with Madeline Miller, the author of... Circe and the Song of Achilles, it took her 10 years to write the Song of Achilles. And on year five, she realized what she'd written wasn't right. And she scrapped that and started over. I was like, oh my God, I have five years, five years. <laughs> I mean, I think I would just like, go bury myself and get it over with. So it's, but these stories are inspiring, right? You know, it's just, we need these stories when we're in those ruts to remember, like even the great people that we think have it all together have had huge hurdles to clear to get to yeah. where they are. Do you feel like, um, I mean, I'm sure it's hard to imagine life another way because it is what it is. But like if Kate wasn't there and in your life and like the person that you had to send that first 500 words to and that said, like, I want more. Do you feel like you would have had that like sort of freedom and bravery to show up and then like buy the whiteboards and plot it out? Like that makes it so fucking real. I'm buying these things. I'm putting it, I'm going to write it big or like, you know. Yeah. No, I've told her so many times that I don't think I would have written this book without her. Like I just, I don't. I don't think that I, I needed her and she held my hands. You know, I would write a thousand words and she would read them. You know, I just needed that constant reassurement that this isn't a pile of crap, that I'm not crazy, you know, and she's, she's tough. Like she'll, she'll definitely give it to me straight. And so that was big for me too. Cause she's like, do you think I'd let you keep writing a pile of shit? And I was like, no, I don't think you would. I don't, I really don't. So, you know, that was I can't imagine just writing all by yourself and not having some kind of support system. I mean, maybe when I'm writing novel number 10, I'll, I'll feel more confident about myself. But at this point in the game, just having that moral support was everything. And she's been this unbelievable role model for me as well. So everyone should get, have a Kate. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then also too, 
you even mentioned like, yeah, you had to switch agent, you know, you said, oh, no, you want yoga. Like, has that been an internal battle at all for you too to get to a place of like, I'm allowed to write a fiction novel. Like I am allowed to have been a yoga teacher and still do this and to write fiction. Because again, like, I think the world wants us boxed in, but sometimes we can have a like, I don't know. Am I allowed to now go this way? What will people think? Yeah. I mean, I think. Yeah, the whole stay in your lane kind of conversation. I, I, I think for a while there, I, I felt threatened by it, but I've also forever made it abundantly clear that I'm not just about yoga. And I think anyone who follows me, I mean, maybe if someone just takes my classes on Yoga Glow and doesn't pay attention to my, my articles or my social media or anything like that might be like, what, you're writing fiction? But anyone who's actually followed me and pays attention I don't think this is going to be a surprise to people at all that I'm putting out a novel. And, and then that's, you know, just because I live with transparency. I'm not, I don't ever believe in just being one thing and that being your life. I think everyone is multifaceted and, and sometimes you just have different chapters of your life of what, what you're focusing on. And so fortunately that hasn't been much of a struggle for me. And if anything, it's been the opposite because writing this book for probably the first time in my life, I was like, I'm becoming who I am. Like, okay. I've like everything, all roads have led to this is what it feels like. No regrets. Not like, oh, I've been wasting time. It's more of a all roads have led to this kind of moment for me. Hopefully I'm not delusional. <laughs> you know. But at this point, it does feel like a dust, you know, I found my destiny. And, um, and sometimes I feel like I wish I'd found it sooner. But at the same time, I, I do believe it's all in the timing. And I do believe that we have certain iterations of ourselves that we have to experience before we can get to perhaps the iteration of like why we were put here if that's possible to even wrap our no, brains around. I mean, I totally believe that. And it's like, yeah, your life experiences and what you have done, what you've gone through, your own doubts, fears, all of that, I think is like part of, yeah, it's like when you then get to that other point in your life, then I'm sure that all added to you being able to sit down and write the story to like the ideas, to the processes, whether it was like yeah. a yoga teacher training you taught across the world or the this, that there's so many, like you never know what's going to change your life. And no. like leave, uh, like, you know, it could be like standing in line behind somebody and having this like moment of seeing life a different way or hearing their perspective. You never know. No. And that's, it's, it's sometimes it's a enjoyable ride. And sometimes you just like, tell me what happens at the end, but <laughs> Hey, you just got to stay open. <laughs> well, I think it's super empowering and inspiring to, yeah, be, yeah. To be now doing fiction and to whatever it is like, yeah. And you brought food in. You're like, yeah, right. Aim true is a combination, right? There's recipes and it's like a whole different thing. So, yeah, like I think that we need more examples of you can do what you want. You can shift what you do. You can do this and then do this. You can be this and that. Like I'm all about the and word lately. Yes. And, and, and totally. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of my posts are like, you can be sad and experience joy at the same time. You can be pushing That's for true. like your biggest goal and, you know, like be attached, you know, like this and also allow yourself to rest and just enjoy your life. Like you need all of these things and, and, and. (laughs) And you're so great at that. And I know that you serve so many people by doing that. So thank you. Oh, thank you. 
All right, let's get to, I ask everybody, I think I've sent you guys, I've sent you guys keychains, but I ask every guest to pick which of these keychain phrases they not necessarily like the most, but which reminder they feel they need in their life right now and why. Well, my favorite is definitely fuck the shoulds, do the wants. I love that. I'm trying to see if there's anything that I think is better for me right now. I would say I am magic is probably what I need the most right now. All right. Because I don't have any proof that I am except for <laughs> myself saying <laughs> that I am right now. <laughs> so I'm really just like, that's, uh, you know, one of my mantras for this book is I've, I've, this book is beloved magic. This book is beloved magic. That's oh. been, that's, that's uh, what, if I could summarize what I want it to be for people, I want it to be beloved magic. Love that. Then yes, I am magic for sure. Um, okay. <laughs> what is a go-to that you do to raise your joy levels? Like if you're feeling in a funk, you're supposed to talk in front of people, just whatever you can tell your. Yeah. Moving, moving my body. You know, there's that joy gap of like, I don't want to work out. I don't want to work out, but I know every single time that I can jump over that joy gap and move my body the you know, I kick up the adrenaline, I get the endorphins going. That is, it's been in- imperative during quarantine as well. Yeah. I'm sometimes shocked at how big of a difference it can make. Cause even I struggle with fibromyalgia and I sometimes will flare up and like, I had some flare ups this last week where I felt like in so much pain and it was so hard. And I was like, I'm going to try to get on the Peloton. It's probably gonna be so hard. And I would do a 30 minute ride and sweat it all out and feel like magical afterwards. And I'm like, how did that fucking happen? I felt like I couldn't even like stand up 30 minutes ago. Right. So it's not even like the emotional. I definitely I do it. We all know it works, and yet it's so difficult to act on. (laughs) That's another one of my like should versus want things. Is a lot of times I can come up with like I know I should exercise. I know this should, and then I go like, well, why would I want to? How would it make me feel? Oh, right. So I want to exercise, and then like helps me to actually like get on the bike but yeah it's like I do it for mental stuff but like that this week of the like how was it possible that I felt so terrible in my body I thought for sure I just needed to hide it like stay in my bed the rest of the day and then I just did this and I feel like a new human I my I don't understand (laughs) (laughs) so anybody out there that feels like crap try moving your body (laughs) ding 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 Um, headline (laughs) Uh, all right. I ask everybody to apply this phrase to their own life. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. Every time I say it, it feels like duh. But yet we fall into like habits, routines, like what is easiest for me is to do blank. What is best for me is. Right. The, the quick fix is often not the lasting solution, right? The quick fix will make you feel good in the moment, but ultimately not serve you while the thing that you want to avoid is the one that has the lasting effect. Just trying to remember it that way. So can you apply that to your own life though? What is easiest for me is to do blank. What is best for me is to. Right. I mean, what is easiest for me is to have a cocktail. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, what's lasting is like you said, doing a yoga practice game. Peloton doing a workout class like that is a lasting effect and hopefully I do that and then I go have a cocktail and that's called balance (laughs) yeah uh, I'm also not against like yeah rewarding myself as well like (laughs) 
exactly. Like I'm a firm well, we believer. Need to do this first. <laughs> balance, 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 but make sure that you're balancing it and that you're not leaning into what comes easy. Those little quick fixes. Yeah. Um, all right. The last question is the name of the podcast is claim it, which we've gotten to into a little bit in the episode is that, yeah, that basically meaning our feelings of worth, value, success, fulfillment are not out there somewhere. Once I have this, do this, be this, then I will feel that we have to claim it for ourselves every single day. So what are you claiming for yourself right now? I'm claiming my own magic right now because I've created it. Not many people have experienced what I've created. It's still mine. And I don't have any approval. I don't have any accolades, but that magic will forever be mine, regardless of what happens to it. So I am, I am claiming that magic. Yes. And you got to keep on reclaiming it, whether the outside voices or the inside voices yes. try to tell you otherwise. Yes. That's a part <laughs> of human life. So you got to keep on claiming it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for oh, sharing all that you do and for, yeah, sharing in this conversation and everywhere. Oh, thank you so much. It's always a joy to talk with you. All right. I hope you guys love Catherine as much as I do. You can find her online, CatherineBudig.com, at CatherineBudig on Instagram. She's also got at the Inky Phoenix for her book club. You can get her classes. Yeah, you can do her yoga classes online. She's really, really unique, amazing, creative. The app used to be called Yoga Glow. Now it's just G-L-O. I'm going to link her yoga line with Kira Grace. For full show notes and links, go to yourjoyologist.com slash podcast, and you'll find all the episodes there. For everything me, I'm yourdrialgist.com and at yourdrialgist on Instagram. I love hearing from you. I love seeing you share the episodes. Feel free to DM me. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. And I would really, really, really appreciate if you haven't yet hit subscribe. And then if you want to leave a review, that means so much to me. And it also really helps the podcast get more discoverable so more people can listen and experience and start to think about claiming it for themselves every single day. And as a thank you, if you leave a review, screenshot it and email it to me at podcast at yourdrologist.com and I'll send you a gift from my product line. Just like I have every guest pick a keychain. I've got the Own Your Awesome Affirmation deck. I've got insulated mugs and cups that will keep your drinks hot and cold that have awesome sayings to empower you. I've got notepads, journals, wine glasses, mugs, all sorts of goodies to empower you, inspire you, remind you to own your awesome and claim it for yourselves every day, your joy, your worth, everything. So as a final thought, oh, you can find all products, shop.yourdualgist.com. But if you just go to yourjoelgist.com, you'll find everything, including my daily inspiration app, hundreds of powerful thoughts and affirmations. Okay, closing it out for today. Think about right now, what are you claiming for yourself right now in this moment? And again, it could be, I claim my peace. I claim joy. You know, you could claim a dream for yourself. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when I ask you that? What are you claiming for yourself right now? Feel free 
DM me. I'd love to hear it. All right. Keep on listening to more awesome episodes or I'll catch you back here next week.